Tonight's reading is on page 1176, and it's Ephesians 5, and we're starting at 21. Instructions for Christian households. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Well, there we are. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm thinking, aren't you? You're ahead of me. Um, and I also know what you're thinking. There's a garden party out there, so don't make it too long. <laughs> um, Look, shall we pray? Let's, let's pray. We need God's help, don't we? God, our Father, we just come before your word now, praying that we will grapple with it where we find it hard. Um, recognize, Father, that there be people who struggle for different reasons, perhaps in their marriage, but um, maybe just struggle with uh, some of what is said here in your word. Please help us, we pray. Um, to bear with one another and to seek your mind from your word and guide us and lead us, we pray. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's a big topic, isn't it? Um, Marriage. And we are not going to be able to go through everything. And I'm not going to be able to, in the next 20 minutes or so, give you everything on marriage, okay? That's just not possible in the time that we have. So we're going to kind of fly over it a little bit and come down at certain points um, to try and get a perspective on, on what Paul is saying to here. So, so don't go away thinking this is everything. It isn't everything. It is hopefully some helpful um, input on marriage for us. And um, do keep your Bibles open at um, Ephesians 5. That will be really helpful um, for us. Um, and the first thing is, perhaps it would be really helpful for us to take a moment to just try and, first of all, define what, what marriage um, really is here. And um, to help us do that, verse 31 is really helpful for us. It says there um, that for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. 
And that is a direct quotation from Genesis 2. And Jesus also quotes that himself, um, for example, in Mark 10. Now, sometimes in our translations, sometimes we kind of miss a little bit of the, the nuances and the, uh, and the meaning of the Greek. And, and um, not to bore you with it too much, but to, just to say that the, the translation here in NIV, it sometimes misses a little bit what, it, what it's saying. Um, and some translations will say, man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. You might have heard of that, that phrase, cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Um, to, to paraphrase a sort of definition of, of marriage, it's to stick, um, if you like, like glue together. Stick like glue together, um, man and wife, becoming one flesh. And the Bible often speaks of this uh, in terms of covenant. And that's another word, a big word, that may be um, a bit unfamiliar to us. A covenant is a solemn uh, and binding promise that's made. And therefore, um, this biblical definition of marriage is something something really deep, um, something really, it's exclusive, um, it's between a man and a woman, it's permanent, it's also a legal thing as well, and it's a commitment. And so it, it is a, a promise. And uh, I'm sure we've all been at, at weddings, and you've seen weddings take place, and maybe you are married, um, and you have done this yourself. But Hollywood definitely got it wrong. Because um, you know in Hollywood, when they ask the man uh, and the woman, I, will you, uh, they say, um, I do, don't they? I think that's right in Hollywood. Do you take this person to be um, your husband or wife? They say, I do. But of course, we've got it right <laughs> in, in our liturgy, where it's, I will. Okay, and that's because it's reflecting a promise that's made. Um, will you, will you take said wife, husband, will you love her, comfort her, protect her, honor, uh, and, and honor her, forsaking all others, be faithful to her as long as you both shall live and, and the other person says, I will. Because what it's doing is reflecting the promise aspect of, of marriage, the covenant aspect and it's about a, a promise. It's a promise of future love. It's not, you're not asked how you are feeling right now um, when you get married. Um, you're asked about the future because it's about a covenant. And a covenant is a promise that you're going to make. It's an agreement. Uh, sorry, it's a, it's a covenant. It's not how we often think about, or particularly in our culture, often think about marriage and that is that it's a contract. It's not a contract. Uh, a contract is um, an agreement that you will get, get something out and, and you will give something. It's kind of give and take. That's not what marriage is about here. It's about cleaving and being together, united. And it's also not about um, chemistry. Although Chemistry is important, and I don't want to deny that. You know, go and look at Song of Songs, for example. There's a lot of chemistry there, isn't there? <laughs> a lot of lively chemistry. But it, it's not really that the kind of biblical picture is, 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 a, is not about chemistry. Does this person, you know, make me feel good? Does it make me feel 
um, spontaneous and liked. Um, and let me sort of put a picture it like this in, um, in marriage. And maybe you could imagine, maybe you could imagine that you've been married for 30 years. Maybe some of you are married for 30 years. And imagine um, the first time you kissed your spouse looking back 30 years. Would it have the same spark as when you first kissed? Nah. <laughs> or is that just my marriage and, and Hannah's, <laughs> Hannah's not here to, to defend herself? Bless her. Uh, and actually... I would say, um, I'd hope not, in some way. Why do I say that? Well, it's not that chemistry is not important. It's not that spontaneity is not important and all those things and feeling that you felt long ago. Um, but that's often, it's largely about, if we're really honest, it's largely about you, isn't it? It's about your ego and what you get out of it. Um, what, thrill, what thrills you about the person, you think this person's hot and therefore will <laughs> fulfill you and therefore it becomes about you. Um, because we all know, don't we, there's a deep need in us for affirmation to be filled. Um, of course, that's wonderful for a time. But we, you see... To actually love someone, as Paul is, is describing here, is to be committed to someone else's joy, to be committed to somebody else's happiness, to be committed to somebody else's fulfilment that goes way beyond your own and your own ego, yeah? And that's what we're going to see here. Covenant, as opposed to chemistry and and, and contract, and I'm not saying chemistry is not important, please don't misunderstand me, but... A covenant is about the other, isn't it? It's about the other person. And of course, for that to happen, that takes time, that takes maturing, it takes a deep oneness of coming together, of commitment in all sorts of areas of life, not just physically, um, but also economically, socially, emotionally, all sorts of oneness going on. Um, and to love that person for, for their sake and for their flourishing, um, to make them look great, even if it means that it's at great cost to yourself. Because that's what a covenant is. It's a promise to love someone. Um, so that's, in a sense, a, a bit of the definition behind this, this um, cleaving and oneness. But what, what are some of the purposes that we see here of marriage. What's the, what's the purpose of marriage? And you might think, well, isn't, isn't that partly obvious? Um, isn't it about procreation? And, but, but it's interesting, you don't see Paul say that here, do you? Um, which is interesting. It's not that it isn't part of the, the equation, because it, it seems very obvious, but it's not what um, Paul focuses on here as the purpose of marriage. And um, the first thing we see is, is there in verse 25 that he highlights. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and presenting her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. 
So one of the purposes of marriage is, is, a, is cleansing, okay? Isn't it? Um, if you think about before we become uh, Christians, the Bible tells us that we were dead in our transgressions, and when we meet Jesus, we're made alive in him. We come to life, and we're made alive, and he transforms us from the inside by his spirit. And Paul is saying that's also, that is actually also one of the purposes for, for those who are called to marriage. Um, if you're married, your spouse comes into your life um, not to be the saviour, but to make you into the person, to help make you into the person that God has created you to be. Now, again, I think, you know, if we think about modern culture and the way that the world we live in, um, tends to say the purpose of marriage is somewhat different, isn't it? The purpose of marriage is to add something to my life, um, to supplement me. Um, sometimes you even hear that kind of thing says. So I don't want somebody to come into my life and change me. I just want somebody to add to my life, you know, like a, a sort of supplementary uh, part to my life, um, to enhance, if you like, who I already am. But, you know, as you, as you go into the Bible, what do you see over and over again? You see that you are not fine. We are not fine as we are. And uh, we don't just need supplement. We need transformation, don't we? Because we know that we are messy, we're flawed, we're impure, we have all kinds of issues in our life. I do, you do, we have all kinds of blemishes and things going on for us. And so one of the things that the purpose of marriage is about is understanding you have someone in your life who understands that Jesus Christ is, is doing something in your life, is transforming you. We often call the work call it the word sanctification. I remember when I first got married, somebody said to me, they were talking about their own marriage and said, I got married and one of the biggest things for my life was the sanctifying work of Jesus through my marriage. Now I know not everybody is married and, but it, but, uh, and for single, but actually if you're a single person, you need that still too. Of course you do. Uh, and, and that's why as a church we should put a big emphasis on fellowship and about being community so that everyone um, can have people who are in their lives to help bring that kind of transforming um, work within. But there is something here about the uniqueness of marriage in that work um, if, if we're called to marriage, and not all of us are. Um, someone who is willing to love you enough to see what God is making you into, helping you grow, picking you up when you fall down, but also showing you your flaws and your blemishes. Um, so what does that mean on the ground? That probably means there's going to be clashes. <laughs> and there's probably going to be confrontation. Yeah, because somebody's going to show up in that Unit, that, that marriage uniting where God is bringing about that change in your life. But it also should mean that we should think carefully about who to marry. So it's not just about who is hot and who's, where you have that chemistry, but it's also character, isn't it? It's about um, thinking about, if you're thinking about getting married, thinking about who, 
will enable that transformation in Christ to be enhanced in, in your life. So we could talk more about that, but the pur- one of the purposes of marriage is, is cleansing. That's what it says here, isn't it, in our text. But also the second purpose of marriage is to bring opposites together. Or it might, if one's about cleansing, we might say the other one is about meshing. Now, for the next few minutes, if what I have said, already said it isn't controversial enough, um, what I'm going to say is I'm going to say some stuff that you may find difficult, okay? And I might even offend some of you here um, as it flies against um, the face of modern culture. Look, you know, don't throw things at me. All I would ask you to do, go away and wrestle with it. Look at it for yourself. Talk to one another about it, okay? I'm simply coming to the text trying to do the same thing. Wrestle with it, try and understand it, apply it, okay? So the second purpose of marriage, of what Paul alludes to here, is to bridge the gender gap, okay? It's to bridge the gender gap. So your ears are twitching already. When Paul describes here the roles of a husband and a wife. Now the Bible doesn't say um, the role for husband and wife is the same here. And why doesn't it do that? At least go with that question. Why doesn't it do that? Well, the reason behind, the reason being is that the Bible is really takes seriously our gender differences. And we live in a world that doesn't do that. But the Bible does that. It wants us. It doesn't want it, us to ignore gender. And it gives us a way for our genders to complement one another and mesh them together in a marriage for mutual help and benefit. Okay? I think that's what it's saying here. But you, you look at it for yourselves, Okay? How does it do that? Well, the basic principle here seems to be from Paul. The Bible introduces what what is known as headship, okay? Verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now... Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, you're probably uh, wriggling in your seats, just as I am sweating here as well. But before we get all kind of uptight and react because of our cultural sensitivities, uh, and before we say, you know, oh, this must mean X, Y, and Z... You know, isn't this just back to patriarch? Isn't this back to some sort of abuse of power? Notice, don't notice how the Bible gets control of it. It gets control of this because headship in marriage is never, ever about satisfying yourself. Okay? That's why it's really important that we have that passage from Philippians, isn't it? It's never about satisfying yourself. Verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ sacrificed his life for the church. 
dying on a cross for her. And Paul's saying that that is actually the headship that he's talking about. He's talking about sacrificial leadership. It's about putting the needs and desires of your wife above your own, always. Just as Jesus did. So if you think men, uh, if you think husbands here have got a kind of a privileged place, husbands used to die for your wives. Ultimately, that's what it's saying. Just as Jesus did. Now, so it's not, here's a trite example, and this is why it's, this is not about this. Um, you know, I was thinking, trying to think of an example. Imagine um, you want a, a new car, you want, to, as a couple, a new car for you. Your wife says, I want a green car, and you want a blue car. Uh, does the husband say, remember Ephesians 5, 22? <laughs> Boom. No, of course not. You let her have the green car, of course. Um, headship is never about imposing power of yourself by putting, but, but instead by putting the needs of your wife first and trying to support. I, I, remember, um, I, I remember when um, we named Phoebe uh, uh, when she was born. I didn't want to name her Phoebe. And that caused a bit of conflict. But, you know, did it really matter, ultimately? And also, it's a great name. I love it now. <laughs> and that's wonderful. Because these examples aren't really the, the kind of... We often think of these kind of things, and actually they're not really the the place of what this kind of sacrificial headship is about. You see, you only exercise this headship when you're working on something and you just can't agree and you know just that decision somehow won't be good for, for either of you or for your, your, your wife. Um, and somebody, somebody's going to have to make a final call, aren't they? I've only ever had to do that, I reckon, twice in my whole marriage, and I've been married 15 years. No, 18 years. <laughs> <laughs> got, it, got it wrong. <laughs> oh, dear, don't go home and tell her. <laughs> it's about doing the right thing that's best under God. The other thing to notice here, I think, is quite helpful for us not to get this out of perspective, is that the Bible almost gives us no detail about how you apply this principle. It's interesting, that, isn't it? It gives you the principle of complementarity between the genders, but hardly anything about how to practically work it out. But equally, don't reject the principle just because it's tough and you haven't got any much detail to go on to. It seems that it, somehow it seems, Paul is saying, it's necessary principle to help get in touch with our gender differences. And yet it's going to take a lot of working out. It's going to take a lot of prayer. And, and it does for me, and I'm sure it will for many of you. I think, look, those who tend to be more dispositionally, uh, more from a, a sort of liberally-minded 
um, background don't like the principle of headship and therefore reject it completely. But those who tend to be from perhaps more traditional, conservative background tend to like the principle and then bring loads of other cultural stuff into how to practice it, which actually the Bible doesn't have at all. It just isn't biblical. And so, so I think you have to watch out there where, you're, where your disposition is in that. Uh, that's probably enough, isn't it, on that? <laughs> that's the, the purposes of marriage. There are more in, in the scriptures, but those are the ones here, I think, in Ephesians. Um, wrestle with it. Talk to each other. Have a nice drink over it. <laughs> Don't throw it at me. So it's about cleansing, it's about bridging the gender differences. And then, then how is this all going to come together? Now, how, how's this actually going to happen? So as we back out a little bit, we need to go and look at verse 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see that? And the NIV translation is really, again, it's slightly unhelpful. And it's, it sticks this, this heading in, which isn't there in normally, that says instructions of Christian household. Just ignore that, okay? Because this verse, verse 21, is the last clause of a, very, a longer Greek sentence that began in verse 18. Okay, that's quite important, actually. What is verse 18 really saying to us? It's saying, be filled with the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. Uh, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, it means quite a few different things, but it at least means to be filled with the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, okay? It's a person. Um, and what does he do? One of the things the Holy Spirit does, isn't it? He, he shines a light, he directs us to the work of the Lord Jesus, doesn't he? Um, he shows and makes Jesus alive to us. The Spirit enables you in your heart to speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, as it says there in verse 19. Because you're overflowing with excitement for Jesus, it just flows out of you. That's part of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Now, why am I telling you this in the context of of marriage? Well, it's this that will enable you first to submit to one another, for a church to submit to one another and build one another up, but, and it's the way that will enable, verse 22, for us, for wives to submit to your husband and for husbands to love their wives as Christ has loved the church. It's in that context. Being filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in a sense, is the key to, under, is the key to under, enable your marriage. And, and there is no transition here. There's no transition. That heading is really annoying, <laughs> Paul's saying he has, he ha, Paul is saying he hasn't changed the subject here. He's still talking about how you are filled with the Spirit and how that will affect you in your different areas of life, one being marriage. Marriage will be more effective if you're assuming verses 18 to 21. What does that mean? That means marriage needs to know God's, God's love deep in, in, in our hearts. As the Holy Spirit pounds our hearts and our inner being, with who Jesus is and how wonderful and brilliant he is and how much he's loved us and how much he's, he's gone to the cross for us and died for us and restored us. That's the knowledge of Jesus. It's the work of the cross and the Spirit being filling us with that. 
We want our marriages to be deep, permanent, binding, promise-filled, through ups and downs. If we want to be practicing this sacrificial love, um, we need the Holy Spirit to fill us. That's the bottom line, isn't it? We should ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. Um, Because he will shine a light on the work of Jesus. And you know what Jesus has done for us? He's made us alive with his indescribable love. So there we go. There's the, how the purpose of marriage, if you're just trying to work at it in a kind of, I'm going to do this, we're going to do this, you're almost going to fail straight away because actually it's a work of the Spirit. Okay? That doesn't mean you're passive, but it's got to be a work of God in your life. What's the point of all this in the last few minutes? What's the point of it? Of marriage? Um, in verse 31, I, we, we mentioned this at the beginning. He says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And now I love this statement. This is a profound mystery. <laughs> you aren't kidding. Um, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. The Bible gives us a picture of Jesus, doesn't it? And at various points, of Jesus as the bridegroom of the church. And someday, you and I will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. If we're trusting in Jesus, we're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb at the end of Revelation, aren't we? And Paul says it's it's a mystery what that means. (laughs) And... Jesus Christ is going to unite with us in some, in a, in a, in a kind of, the picture of marriage, if you like, is, is we're going to be united to Christ uh, in, that, in, in some kind of way that is analogous to being married. We will fall into his arms of love because he's a God of love. So it's a bit of a foretaste marriage. Um, It's a picture. Uh, And that's why it should be upheld by all, whether we're called to marriage or not. Um, Because it's a foretaste, it's a picture of that great marriage supper of the Lamb, where we will experience full intimacy of what what it's like to fall into the arms of Jesus himself. It's a beautiful picture. Because we're ultimately created by him, created for him. And that's what marriage points us um, towards. So I suppose that means, doesn't it, that marriage is not the pinnacle of all human relationships. I mean, it's, it's, it's important, but it's not the pinnacle. Sometimes we uphold marriage as the thing that we've all got to have, and that, that's it's not, is it? Because the picture here, and I know that for many, I must say, I know for many that do want to be married, that's hard at times, really hard. Because many do want to marry and are not called or it's not happened for whatever reason. But the, the pinnacle of human relationship is that uniting with Jesus Christ. And no human relationship can compare to that. But you know what? It's a profound mystery. <laughs> It is a profound mystery. Um, But it's going to be brilliant. (laughs) It's going to be a world of love. Let's pray. Um, 
Father God, we've rattled through quite a lot in your words about marriage, and, and some of it's been really hard. I pray, Father, that um, if I've in any way said anything that is not of you, uh, we pray that it fall to the ground as dust and will be forgotten. Um, we pray, Father, if it's of your word and by your spirit, we pray that you'll help us to wrestle with it, that it may pound our hearts, that it would transform us and make us into the people you've called us to be. Help us to bear with one another in love and help us look towards that, that great wedding supper of the Lamb when we will be united with your son Jesus and we'll fall into his arms and we will be fulfilled and we'll be with you forever in a world of love. Help us to long for that day and as we wait, if we're married, we pray that we would um, know your cleansing and we pray that you'd know that meshing of the, uh, of the genders. And if we're not called to marry, we pray, Father, that you'll help us to, to see who Jesus is more and more and to know your love and your fellowship in him. So just please be with us now as we turn to, to praise you and sing of your, your greatness and of your love. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.